So, a very good day. Welcome to the podcast. It's lovely and bright and uh, sunny up here in the mountains. I've just had to go down to Alfaz del P, which is about seven kilometres away from here. And um, to be honest with you, it was quite nice. So, um, let's hope the same can be said of Eric's weather down on the frozen wastes of Albia. So, Eric, first of all, how's your weather and how are you? First of all, I'm very well, and second, the weather is as good as me. It's excellent. <laughs> Lovely. I've actually sat on the terrace. I don't often, not recently started wearing my shorts again, so I'm on the terrace doing a little bit of sunbathing while I'm talking to you, believe it or not. Well, I, I went down to town in my uh, shorts, but um, one side of the pavement, very nice. <laughs> the yeah. other side is a bit on the cold side. Yeah. Now, we've got quite a bit to talk about, actually, and um, we start off with a BBC documentary that was on last night. Did you did you see it by any chance? I didn't, actually, funnily enough, and I, I, I forgot about it. Some about the dark side of football, wasn't it? It was the dark side. It was the paedophile side, and uh, we had this guy, uh, Barry Burnell, who basically was associated with uh, Manchester City, dare I say. I'll have to whisper that one. Um, oh, no, no problem. Well, I mean, the thing is, you know, it's it's great fodder for those that want to knock football. So, I mean, obviously, there will be those that are now really knocking football for the sake of the fact that they like doing that. Or there could be others who feel... Well, there will be others that feel exactly like we do, which is that these people are uh, they proliferating everywhere. I mean, you've got them not in football, uh, not just in football. You've got them in politics. You've got them um, connected to royal uh, royal families. You've got them connected to the churches, and you've got them connected to the Boy Scouts and everywhere. These people are just predators who look to try and get into a situation where they can get in, involved with children. Uh, so the first thing is, um, obviously, it's revisiting everything that was about, um, you know, it's going back a, uh, quite a while, but, you know, it, it was quite a big story when it broke. Um, so, first of all, had you heard of this Barry Bunnell guy? No, I'd never heard of him, even though I'm a Man City fan. I mean, obviously, he must have been well lower down the pecking order because he, unless you actually have a, a child who's going to Manchester City or what he won't just at City he's at a few other clubs as well yes yeah. and uh, he, unless you have somebody in the family where you've taken them down you don't see these guys do you really I mean uh, I don't know what happens once you get there and you put a youngster off and off you go you just hope that you're in good uh, hands I mean that, that's what I would have thought but unfortunately is these kind of people who do prey on children and work their way into certain jobs because you can do well, the thing for me, obviously, as a teacher, you, you get checked very quickly. And basically, uh, you, you get told about uh, everything that you should do and you shouldn't do. You shouldn't need to be told these things, but um, basically, you do. And obviously, the BBC is full of this guy who, um, uh, you know, has obviously brought a lot of uh, everything into, um, well... Let me just go over the, the, the details for those people that don't know. He's been found guilty of 43 charges of historical child sexual abuse. And his conviction is the first since allegations of sexual abuse in football began to surface in 2016. 
apparently he was a football junior and youth scout and uh, he boasted he can find professional football clubs for the next young stars and obviously he, he was a bit of a pied piper uh, he told young footballers that he could help their dreams come true uh, but of course we now found uh, that he now 64 was a prolific sex offender a predatory paedophile who preyed upon these kids who obviously would be latching on to the end of every word that he dropped um, uh, some of the stuff that came out last night was quite graphic you know, because uh, it, there were people um, who were obviously a lot older now, uh, in the 50s, for some, some of them. And, um, you know, th these guys were, were in tears. I mean, you know, it's not very nice to have to talk about these things. Um, going over Benel again, he was, or Benel, he was a youth player at Chelsea, uh, associated with a number of clubs. Obviously, Crew Alexandra was the other one. Uh, that in particular was one for um, developing young players. So uh, this guy didn't do anything that was particularly clever. It was just basically he promised kids that he would be able to do things for them to get them into the game, which I think I think most people would, would expect kids to sort of swallow that up, hook, line and sinker. Um mm. I mean, I don't really think that you can blame the kids, although I think some of the problem might be a, a attributed also to the parents because I got the impression, and I always did get the impression, that some of the parents were trying to achieve things through the children. You know, they'd come down um, to the YTS when I was running the YTS and you could really tell that the, the kid was having to do what the parent couldn't do very often. Yeah, be successful and try and. Uh, I, I mean, that happens a lot nowadays. I mean, don't forget, kids are getting picked up at the earliest age possible. In my day, you, it'd be around about in between 15 and 20 when you got picked up, kind of thing. Um, but nowadays, it starts around about six, seven, or eight. You know, and maybe I, I'm not quite sure how old the people was who this guy was interfering with, kind of thing. I just wonder. What age he was? You saw the program. What age was he? Did you say? Well, it seemed that you know they were very young, probably nine, ten, that sort of thing. From what I could see, yeah. uh, going up to about fifteen and sixteen. But I mean, the big thing is if you. Um, if you, and this came out during the program, uh, if you saw somebody who could get you into a football team, uh, but then he wanted to, to take two on their own to his place in Cumbria, I think it was. Um, you know, as a parent, I know that would send, it would have sent alarm bells to me because quite frankly, um, you, you might remember me telling you, we had this with our son John. Uh, who, who went to um, Exeter, and uh, he was involved in, uh, you know, a, 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 he would have been so chuffed to have been involved in, in the team. And then, of course, for me as a parent, getting a phone call telling me that, you know, there's all sorts going on and uh, he wants to come home after we've driven nearly two hours to take him up to Exeter. Um, you know, and then when I phoned the um, Exeter um, I think it was the, I 
I think it was a German actually can't remember for sure um, but uh, you know he told me it was just a bit of horseplay well you know the thing is uh, my my uh, worry as a teacher was that it could have been the kids were used to just get the ball rolling and then the adults come in later and mm. you know so immediately I, I, I was on it and uh, John came back and uh, anyway th th that was the end of that particular thing and he didn't go any further um, with his football he decided to turn back to rugby um, mm. now funny we, we don't seem to hear the same thing of the rugby coaches well, you don't know the events. I mean, it's not just at football. I think maybe in other sports. And and don't forget, I think in the future, the next thing you're going to hear about women. You know, women's football now. Yeah. There's a lot of men coaches that, and a lot of managers. I'm not going to say any of them are doing anything wrong, but I'm pretty sure sooner or later something like that will come out. But I, I put it back to the fact that they're taking kids in now at an age which they're not in a position to... Uh, look after themselves anyway if you're eight or nine and you've got somebody who's kind of teaching you football or promising you things what what could happen and you're full of it obviously wanting to be a success having watched all this television with all these big flash cars it's easy to see why people get dragged into it and think that they could be like that when talking about the dark side of football is that side when you get to around about 15 and the release and these poor kids then having all the dreams shattered. You know, these are all things which happen in football. But, as I say, I was lucky enough to grow up in an age whereby you didn't get picked up till you started playing in pretty grown-up football at uh, maybe when you got to work and you got in the works team and, and you started playing for the works team. And uh, that's when you got picked up and you were old enough in them days to make your own decisions, if you understand what I mean. These kids are so young, you don't know what's happening to them, you know, and... That is, that is why they can prey on them. Whereas in my day, you never got picked up at that age. It was, in fact, my mate didn't get picked up till he was 20. Then he played record number of times for Oxford United, John Tuca. And uh, he was 20 and he was rather in his, in his uh, background. You know, he was a painter and decorator. And, and the other lad who, who played for Stoke City didn't get picked up till about... 17, and he played record number of times for Stoke City. His name was Eric Skills. But these lads that didn't get picked up at six and seven and eight, blinking it. Can you imagine what it must be like for them kids there? Well, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I do have, uh, as you know, David Williams uh, is a friend of mutual friend, and his um, grandson is in the academy at Tottenham. And obviously, you know, he's excited about the future. He was in the Arsenal Academy uh, and they uh, decided that uh, they didn't want to take it any further. So obviously now it's great for him to actually have another chance at Tottenham. But the, the trouble is it's to do with money. When we first um, were involved as kids, I mean, I, I remember, um, I think I told you, I represented the shipping league and then got a, a, an invite to go and have a trial for Tramia. Um, nobody even spoke to me. I mean, they must have done, but there's nothing that I can remember. And, um, you know, I didn't really uh, go any further, which is a shame because I know my dad wasn't able to come and see me. Um, and nobody from the football club came with me. So it was not the, not the greatest memory that I have. But having said that, 
nowadays it's just about money. Everything to do with football seems to be just about money. I mean, obviously, um, there's masses of people playing at grassroots level, but we never really hear much about them. It's only just an occasional foray into the FA Cup or something like that, or, you know, uh, talking about national leagues. But this, this, this really, though, is all about... It's about behaviour and about how society views paedophiles because, you know, it would appear to me that not enough attention is paid to paedophilia. You know, we go through it, this has been going uh, for a long time now, um, and you hear about the MPs and you hear about royalty and you hear about various people uh, who might be associated with a paedophile ring of coming from high circles. So everything seems to get swept under the carpet once it's highlighted. I mean, we we had the hope, the high-profile uh, cases of uh, Jimmy Savile and, and uh, Gary Glitter, um, but then it's almost as if everything's gone quiet after that, and I don't believe that's to be the case. You know, the the thing about paedophilia, which I think most people should realise if they don't realise, is it's it's not a curable disease. Do you mm. know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I say, and I like people. I I think a lot of it has to do with the parents as well, which I think you mentioned before, whereby they're not keeping an eye on the kids because they're just happy to get them out of the way, you know, and they might do whatever they've got to do, kind of thing, you know. And that is why these people can uh, move in on on young children. Yeah. And uh, therefore, it, it down to parents. I mean, no disrespect, but <laughs> nowadays you it, you were happy to play out in the street, weren't you, where they could keep an eye on you, your parents. Uh, and you didn't travel far. But nowadays, the world is such a big place that nothing like travelling down to Exeter, where you said you took John 200 mile trip or whatever it was. You know. It, the world is a bigger place, and in the old days, people was right on one another's doorstep, literally, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Somebody would keep an eye on young Johnny down the road there, you know, just keep your eye on for us, will you, love? You know, I've just got to go to shops and things like that, you know. And nowadays, it's just that everybody's a bit more isolated, whereby you jump in a car and drive off and take your kids somewhere, drop them off, and then come back, you know, do what you're going to do. And I think that's where it's been lost, with mainly with parents and anything. But having said that, the clubs now, I know in Manchester City, issued a statement to say they didn't investigate it. They heard that it could happen, but they never investigated it. It was their fault, really, and have apologised profusely. Yeah. You know, but obviously no disrespect, but apology don't matter so many years later, does it, when people have been affected all their lives kind of thing. But there's a, there's a blame culture, uh, Eric. There is a blame culture. And what happens is, every time there's a problem, everybody wants to blame somebody and see if they can make some money, uh, you know, out, out of uh, possibly, um, you, you know, uh, litigation. Well, I mean, it's almost like people are not... They're not remembering where does the problem come from. Uh, well, the problem comes from individuals who basically are sick. They are sick because if you want to mess around with children, you're obviously not able to um, form relationships. I mean, obviously, there will be people that will be far greater inf informed than, than you and I can be. But having said that, you know as well as I do, the psychologist very often will spend years working with these people and they'll tell you the cure and then they get out on the streets again and they're up to their old 
tricks. So, you, you know, I don't think it's that easy to get inside another person's mind and find that they've been cured. I think that's really a load of hogwash. If somebody wants to go and abuse children, that's what they do. And unfortunately, society at the very top levels contains people who basically, in their ranks, they have people who are part of this. And I don't see it's been changed in my lifetime. And when we do hear of religions that seem to think that it's not something that is uh, wholly, thoroughly condemned, I think that you've got to go right to finding um, in law a way of protecting children. That's the way I feel about it. It'll be interesting to see what maybe comes out of the second and third part of this BBC documentary, but I just think it's another chance for the BBC to make a programme rather than people mm. on a real mission to get this problem solved. Because I know damn well what will happen is this will all fester and come out in the public like Harry and Meghan a couple of weeks ago, and then it goes quiet. Nobody really bothers about it again. And in the meantime, somewhere in the world, there'll be kids getting abused and people just get on as if it's sort of a normal behaviour. Anyway, um, we can't go a lot further with that one, but just make sure that um, we do at least acknowledge it and then if we go next to Rangers um, last week they were playing in the Champions League and there was the abuse of one of the black players now uh, from what I saw I saw a guy go and whisper a Slovakian player whispered in his ear um, and then the fellow went absolutely berserk and it really showed a reaction that this fella had said something which was obnoxious and then of course the Slovakian teams are now trying to say that um, you know they didn't say it and uh, and of course the football authorities they'll eventually cover this up as well how do you feel about that well the two players concerned I mean we don't remember don't don't forget remember Suarez and Patrice Evra uh, yeah when you when you call him something and just recently you know, these people who are getting fined for putting something on Facebook, not on Facebook, on these Instagrams or whatever, or Twitter. It seems to be the in thing to go back to what you said before about paedophiles and all that. It goes on for quite a bit of time and then it stops, kind of thing. And it's just as though they want to pick up on everything. The particular incident, I don't you know, but he was supposed to have called him a monkey. Yeah. And that's what's caused the problem. And... Uh, I can understand the lad being upset, and I don't know. Did he report it to the referee at the time? You know, uh, or does he wait till he gets at home? He gets in the dressing room and tells them then. It's well, I think the reaction of everybody showed you that it was out of order, and it's now up to the football authorities to show that they really seriously want to stop it. Because, you know, we've had enough of this um, taking the knee nonsense because that has been hijacked. And people know that that now is not really as, as potent as maybe it could be. Whereas this poor lad, uh, or man, um, was obviously uh, outraged by the way that this um, Slovakian player, which of course is part of a tactic, let's not forget, in a game of football, to get somebody so annoyed that eventually they don't play as well as they do, or they do something reckless and get sent off. So, I mean, it's this business now of honesty in what we're really all talking about, because um, 
I think you and I we we talked about this in the last podcast quite quite um, to some length. It's one of these things which you know your first reaction might be oh he only called him a name. Yeah. But if you're a black man and you've had this for a long time, I mean it's not nice. It's not acceptable. There's no way that you can accept that somebody should be allowed to call somebody a monkey when, when really, um, y- you know, uh, it's meant in a nasty way. I think that's horrible, and I don't know what's going to come next. But if the, P- if, the, if the football authorities don't really sh- make an example of this, because everybody saw it, it's a European game, it's high profile, if they don't come down and totally condemn it by uh, punishing the Slovakian player that said it, I don't know what else anybody can do to stop this problem um, because quite frankly I'm with these black guys nobody would deserve to be called a monkey Um, when it was a bit of banter back in the 70s and maybe everybody was light hearted about it, people know what they're doing now, they've had donkey's years of education so it's not about not knowing what they're doing they do know what they're doing these people are just being incredibly cruel to these people and i think it's it's not good enough eric don't you i just see it feel that it's just a, another way of uh, trying to upset the opposition as you just said but all the years of football much football and now everything is getting highlighted and all they're doing to me, well, certainly on these Instagram things and uh, Twitter, somebody somewhere is doing something on purpose to cause a stir. And so the papers are picking up. Every week or nearly there's something going on where somebody's been abused on Twitter or something like that. And it's getting a bit like the, the knee. I'm a bit fed up with it, being truthful. You know what I mean? It's about time the people who are running these organisations, which these people are exploiting sorted them out, but nobody seems to be bothered. Well, you've said, Eric, Eric, you're absolutely right. I mean, I I think this is part of a a concerted effort to try and put football back in its place. I mean, I remember 20 years ago, you, you and I, we had some quite heated discussions at times because I used to always say that football is part of society. And many people think football is bigger than society. And I said it's going to take really a big event to to make people change. Now, I didn't have for a minute think it would be like this. But I do think now that what what a certain group of people are trying to do is trying to get back the control and take away the way that the football has become so big. I mean, at the end of the day, it almost appears like most things are headed towards Mecca now and um, uh, Saudi Arabia and uh, Qatar and the the rich Arab countries, Uh, you you know, almost as if it's by a plan to take over the football clubs and and take the big events to uh, the, the Arab countries. That's just one thought that hits my mind. The other one is the way that everybody is being exploited like we've got this paedophile thing now which will obviously run for a while. Uh, the black problem has run for a long time and I think it's because many black people and many white people are f- we're all fine with each other. You know, we've had mixed marriages since you and I were kids. Uh, At first, I know that they were frowned upon and many people um, sort of jumped on it. But, I mean, I don't think many people of our sort of age 
now any decent people even think about that i mean you, you you're introduced to somebody in company and obviously we're not stupid so we know that there's there's a black person but but we just put our hands out and say nice to meet you and uh, and you accept them as a nice person or not a nice person i think most of us are like that now surely does that does that make sense to you yeah i know where you're coming from but you've got to remember like back in our old days i mean i don't think the coloured people had the education that they've got now you see these guys come on uh, they're so articulate you know on the maybe question time yeah. or something like that and whereas i always felt you know they, I, they never got a fair crack of the whip in the early days. In my class, I, I can remember one lad who was uh, kind of, he wasn't really black, but he was kind of half-coloured. And that, that was just in a class of 40. But nowadays, if you see the television, there's a lot of them, and they're all getting fairly well educated, which is good news. It's just that I hate it when people tell me I need to be educated about the way coloured people are. I don't need it. I've already, I've grown up with it. I know what it's all about. Yeah. I don't need to be educated. Yeah. I know that there's no, they're no, I'm no better than them and they're no better than me. Do you know what I mean? But you can't make, one like you, like you, can't, you just said. Yeah, you can't you make know? people like each other. I mean, the thing no. is, there are some people that, that we, uh, either of us could talk about this, uh, uh, saying that there are certain people we don't like, um, but, you know, the, the colour is the last reason why you don't like them. It's it's because they're nasty exactly. people. They do nasty things, so you don't like them. All right, well, Eric, we can't really do much other than sort of know that we feel that way. Um, we've got these um, ridiculous qualifiers at the moment. And, mm. um, you know, funny enough, I picked up a comment in the, the press about Liverpool fullback Trent Alexander-Arnold. And people were saying that, you know, he should have been picked. And Steven Gerrard from um, Rangers has also had a comment, he's written an article in which he says the same. Now, I think that uh, going forward, he's a great player. I think defensively, he's a liability. And I think if Liverpool were to look carefully at the problems that we've had in defence, a lot of them have come from his side of the park. Um, so for me, uh, again, you see, you get this um, dichotomy of people who can't see anything other than the end of the nose. Um, and then you've got somebody that talks football. We, we, we look at the thing objectively. You know, it doesn't mean I don't like Trent Alexander-Arnold as a person when I say I don't think he's a good defender. Do you pick the same vibes I do as, as a footballer, as a defender, that he doesn't really know how to defend as well as he should? Well, you've been mentioning it for weeks on a, when we discussed Liverpool about him being the... Uh, little bit of a weakness where the paper in over the cracks by blaming everything the defence on Van Dijk not being there, you know, yeah. which is a load of nonsense because all, all, all players have strong players in the team and if you lose that player who's a strong player, you can't suddenly blame it on him you know, and there's other reasons I mean, look at Robertson on the opposite side, he's a lot, a lot more mature and he, he's been able to hold his own on that side because he don't need to rely on maybe Van Dyke telling him what to do. Maybe Arnold did rely on Van Dyke to be talking to him and or Gomez, whoever it was, the ones who are not there now. Yeah. But at the end of the day, football now, full-backs are, full are not defenders. They've got to be kind of right-wingers, haven't they? Yes. And uh, you, this is a, a big dilemma now with 
I mean, Man City now are, are pushing Cancelo into midfield, you know. And funnily enough, I noticed Liverpool, not the last game against Wolves, I think it was one before that, might have been Tottenham away. And they, they pushed Arnold into midfield, and I thought, hi, hey, they're picking up an idea what Guardiola was doing. Because he would be more better in midfield rather than a fullback, because the midfield, although you still have to defend. You know, that's not your main job, defending yeah. in midfield. Creating, which he is a creative player, as you just said, going forward is excellent. Yeah. But they've just, this is going back to what we just said, the, the, talking about leaving eye on all that. They've all been, Kyle Walker's been left out for, for the edge. Trippier's been left out when Arnold's been in. Nobody's made a fuss of it. It's just the fact that it's Liverpool and the, and the fact that, you know, he's trying to pick on... On the lad, and, and you have said many times that he has been more of a weakness than a strength just recently called it a pool. And it's just that, that Lincoln Southgate's noticed it and he won't admit it openly that he's not well. Whether he did say he's not been playing well enough to get in the team, which is what he should have done when he, if he wasn't being picked. No good saying, oh, it's a very strong position that we've got there at fullback now. The strong positions all over the England team at the moment. Yeah. And uh, it's just a matter of another newspaper pranking it, getting things going, and uh, trying to make selling newspapers being truthful. Yeah. And don't, there's no more bigger fans than like Liverpool fans, you know, yeah. or you know where yeah. they've got or Manchester United fans, where they, everything's being blown up now because United have been knocked out of the FA Cup. You know, yeah. Uh, I, I just know, and I was part of the problem many years ago. I used to buy about three papers when I first come to Spain. Because I was losing touch of in England, not being able to. Uh, I mean, now we've got television, which covers nearly everything, doesn't it? Yeah. So the newspapers are being attacked on all fronts by the media, you know, and uh, and that's one of the reasons why they're trying to make things out of out of proportion, in my opinion, just to sell the newspapers. Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, I I, I can see quite objectively that um, uh, Southgate needs a defender. And I think at international level, you need a strong defender. If you've got the luxury of being able to just run and attack all the time, then obviously Arnold is certainly one to be put in the frame. Um, But I do think that a lot of Liverpool's problems have been caused from a decision made by Klopp allowing Arnold to be the captain um, in one of the the European games against the Danish side and Salah um, throwing his uh, dummy out the pram because he didn't feel that um, Arnold should have been the captain. I mean, it's silly things like that. Um, That's what's losing people to dressing room. And if we're going to talk about losing dressing rooms, what do you make of the situation at Tottenham Hotspur? Because Mourinho is saying some very strange things, as he always does, um, but they go from playing wonderful football to being um, not playing wonderful football. What do you think? Is he is he on the way out, or do you think that's, again, just papers? Wherever he's been, Mourinho has caused division in the ranks of the, you know, the players. I don't know how he does it. I know he is one of them who will suddenly come out with something which you don't expect him to come out with. I mean, the situation at Tottenham, you can see that boiling up for ages. He wasn't picking Gareth Bale, he wasn't picking Deli Alley. You know, and he, he just left them out and just kind of ignored them. And he's done this at a lot of places. At United, he signalled out uh, Shaw, you know, the fullback who is now playing exceptional for Manchester yes. United. Yeah, he and, is. Uh, 
he, he just seems to, you know, he just seems to blink and solicit problems when there isn't any problems, you know. And uh, I no disrespect the time when he had to go at that girl, he was a, a physio, he'd been on to somebody who was injured. It, openly in front of all the crowd there, he, sh he shot her down. And to me, that was a disgraceful thing with the manager. And now he's still in, in manager because of that. I can't understand it. It all went quiet because she won a case in court and got paid X amount of money. In the meantime, it didn't take long for Chelsea to get rid of him. Then, because he's got a good reputation of building sides, you know, fair play to him, you can't knock his record. But to me, he's, I think he's a little bit of a wasted manager now. I think he's on his way down. I might be wrong. I mean, the Tottenham are a club. They've got a fantastic ground now. They're doing really, you know, they've got, they've got good players. Probably not 100% compared to Liverpool and Man City at the top, like where they've got a bigger, bigger squad. But Tottenham have got some good players, and I think he's, he's kind of spoiling it for them. But I, I said early on in the season when he beat Man City 2 0, and he went top of the league, and I can remember saying, if that was my team, Tottenham, I wouldn't be happy because even though they're top of the league, the way they play football is not my idea of football. You know, you get ideas in football where you watch teams play. Over the years, I think we've nearly always been West Ham fans because they've always been yeah. renowned for playing good football, West Ham, wherever they've gone over the years. I mean, I mean to be fair, even United have always played attacking football. Don't like to admit it too much, but you know, they've been attracted to people and that's what makes people watch them. But wherever Mourinho's gone, you can't say he's ever played attractive football. At Chelsea, when they did well, I mean, their game was placed based on Didier Drogba. You know, a big ball down the middle and yeah. John Terry scoring off corners and set pieces. You know, to me, he, he'd never produced what I call a great football inside. And I just got a funny feeling he's a little bit jealous now because he doesn't get recognised for what he does. And for, for that reason... Tottenham have got players who could play good attacking football and for somehow some reason he kind of holds them back from doing that. Even though the other week, you know, when they picked, they picked Bale, Son and uh, Kane up front, yeah. you know, they didn't play attacking football. Against Arsenal it was. When they, they That's right. Yeah, I remember you know, that game. They didn't go out and play attacking football even though he picked them. You know, they didn't play to the strength. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, let's be fair. We're just supporters. We don't know what goes on behind closed doors. Well, you we know, don't. What I... goes on training field. You know, how, how he treats them. But you know a lot of people saying a lot of good things about him. The goalkeeper said his problems in the dressing room, mm. you know, even when he was interviewed. So it's up to the manager to get that control of that dressing room. But obviously he's not got the players in there who can do that. Yeah. Harry Kane, have you noticed Harry Kane? He keeps very quiet. He doesn't get involved in anything. Yeah. I'm sure he's ready for the move. I might be wrong, but it's funny how he doesn't come out and say things. Mm. That, oh, he's a good manager and all that. Yeah. He doesn't, does he? No, he doesn't. Um, you, you know, you, you're so right that people like us who comment... We, we don't have all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle. I often get very frustrated because my missus will come out with a comment and you try and justify what you think and yet really they've got as much right to their opinion as any of us because we don't know yeah. the full story. So, you know, I, I sometimes um, do find myself thinking, well, come on, you don't really know the game. But, but again, you know, we, we don't know enough about the situation that we're commenting on. So you're absolutely right to say that. 
the only thing is that the only thing is that a lot of people nowadays it's all done through the press and. In the old days, you know the press. I, I used to watch uh, what the papers say many years ago, and you see these old guys who used to report on football. In fact, a few of them died in the Munich air disaster. People like Henry Rose and, and Frank Swift. But they had like an unwritten rule. You know, you could go into the bar, speak to the players, and know exactly what's going on, and uh, they would never report it because it was like a, a fine line drawn between, you know talking to them and then putting it in the press. Nowadays, people like the agents and everything are using the press to manipulate moves to make money for themselves. Exactly. So back to what you said about football being all about money. And I'm sorry to say you spot on there because and that's what happens with the press. And, and you know me, I'm not a big fan of this uh, European football yeah. because it's a big rip-off and I've said it so many times. And you know why the papers won't report bad on it? Because the reporters go to these away grounds all <laughs> over the world and they get paid expensive, stay at the best hotel, yeah. get the best seats to watch the game and they're not going to write something bad about European football, are they? Because mm. I've seen more bad games in European football where they've been absolutely diabolical and then you get one good game and then, it, oh, it's the best thing ever, you know, with this football. But it's true. As you're talking, Eric, it becomes mm. more and more clear to me that this is almost like the European Union of football and you're absolutely right. You know, if you're on the gravy train like the MEPs are or these top guys in the European Union, yeah. you're not going to want to finish it. Um, exactly. OK, well, let's go next to... Uh, I thought it was a great weekend of FA Cup quarterfinals I, I really enjoyed some of these games um, I thought Everton gave you uh, enough resistance in the first half and then um, City just seemed to have that extra gear to give us a score um, you know I, I thought quite honestly City deserved to win the game uh, you saw it as being 0-2 uh, I thought that Everton could have beaten you 1-0 sneak the, the, the odd goal so I was obviously well wrong with that one. Um, but were you satisfied with the way your, your team played? Well, it was a tough nut to crack Everton, let's get it right. If they played like that every week, Everton, with that attitude, they'd be further up, they'd be re definitely in the top four. But every, the week before, I don't really watch seven weeks before, it was terrible, you know, and it, it just goes to show, doesn't it? You get a certain game and then the attitude of the players changes yeah. and uh, they, they put in such a performance like they did against City and let's be fair you're quite right it was a tough tough game but I don't think they created enough chances other than the one which I think Sinjenko cleared off the line from a set piece yeah. the only chance of them scoring was off a, a set piece he was using long throw-ins he was using corner kicks free kicks and that was their best chance of scoring they weren't creative enough in midfield I didn't think Everton to be open up the City defence which obviously has been playing really well lately um, once City brought on De Bruyne and uh, Mares, you knew we meant business then because the team he selected wasn't what I would call his best team. And when you leave Kevin De Bruyne on the bench, uh, it's not, you know, he's just making everybody move around, you know, yeah. giving everybody a chance. You know, during the week, there was lads who played who haven't played much this season. And it was great because as a manager, everybody moans that, like, Solskjaer at the moment has come under that much stick because of the people he left out. And I, in some ways, I agree that it was wrong because it's an international break coming up now. They've got two weeks where they're not even at their own ground. 
and it was a good chance to keep your best team together and stay in the FA Cup. Fortunately for Man City, we've got like 20-odd players there, and it doesn't matter who plays, but there's certain players you can put your... You know, put your, well, you, I'd pick him to play for my life. You know, people like Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah. You know, he's definitely a must player. And uh, he, he did pick him. But anyway, it's just one of the things that nowadays, the way they work football, they change them around. But FA Cup, I'm, I'm just glad Man City treat the FA Cup with a lot of uh, respect because it's another trophy. And although a lot of people now, I mean, most teams change the goalkeeper. Because I've got a feeling it's written in the contract that they will get games in the in the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup. Because yeah. to be fair, goalkeepers one of positions you can't really mess about with, can you? No. Whereby you've got to put somebody in. Nobody's going to play all season not get a game. Even with United, they've got had two top class goalkeepers in Henderson and De Gea. Even De Gea is now. I I knew that Henderson would play for United because I think it was already written in the contract that he'll be playing in cup games anyway yeah. Uh, so I've just got the feeling that other than goalkeepers a lot of people don't treat it in the right respect for the FA Cup but I'm pleased to say we've got a manager who does No I, I'm with you I, I, I love the cup I mean it, it's, it breathes football for all for me and you, you know this inclusive uh, lovely stories of Bournemouth for example reaching the quarter final to play Southampton um, you know I would have would, would have loved them to win 2-1 which is my prediction uh, you knew that Southampton would win and you know it turned out that way it was a bit easier 3-0 um, but I thought Bournemouth played reasonably well and they looked still as if they could be a, 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 a team to add into the Premier League you know they're not that far off from what we see in many of the games um, did, did you feel that Southampton were three goals better well they did play good football Bournemouth but they've been renowned for playing good football ever since Eddie Howe's been there over the years and, yeah. uh, and they're just more or less carrying it on the kind of football uh, which most people enjoy watching uh, it's just unfortunate that he got relegated Bournemouth are like knowledge you know these teams you go down the division because he sticks to the principles and carry on playing good football. People like Graham Sooners, who you sometimes listen to on the pundits when he's talking, and he says, well, I think they should change the style and be a little bit more pragmatic and be a bit more defensive. Well, if you're a manager and you've got your own principles, you're going to stick by them, aren't you? Yeah. And I think the lad who went down with Norwich is proving the case because Norwich are, are flying in the championship. And I think maybe it'll take a bit of time, but I think same thing will happen with Bournemouth by carrying on playing good football. Now, we, <coughs> we both got two predictions right, because you got those two right. When it came to Chelsea and Sheffield United, uh, you got this one right, and I got this one right. Uh, but then I think, really, it was pretty obvious that uh, Chelsea are playing some lovely football. They're looking strong. Sheffield United, uh, they must really feel fed up because they're not a bad team. They, they just, I think, are often unlucky. Um, Chelsea did the business. There's not really an awful lot that maybe I can add. Is, is there anything that you picked up on that one? Just that Sheffield United kind of held their own for a lot of the game because Chelsea are missing that vital spark of getting that goal ball, ball in the back of the net, you know, and therefore they struggle with it, even though it's one non-Chelsea. Sheffield United come back a bit in the second half, but they, they haven't got anybody up, up front who can score a goal for them. No. I think the best chance my goal's Rick missed, but other than one chance which they created, uh, 
you know, it's always, a, in my opinion, a foregone conclusion. I just couldn't see Sheffield United scoring, yeah. even though they did dominate a little bit of the play in the second half. And like you say, Chelsea now at the back, I, I look like like rock, you know, they're really solid at the back. And it'd be interesting in the semi-final when they play Man City. Yeah, well, we'll come to the predictions in a second yeah. as we go to the last of the games, which uh, I predicted that uh, Leicester would win 2-1. You thought Manchester United on penalties. Uh, I really did enjoy this game. I, I thought it was a great game to watch. And I thought when uh, Solskjaer brought on the charge of the light brigade, I mean, it looked like a, yeah. a, an infantry... Did, players, did, it, it, I mean, you really didn't think that Leicester would, would hold out. And yet, I thought Leicester were terrific. I thought um, they they looked good throughout the game. And um, some of their players are just terrific at the moment. And I think it got to be down to the, partly the, the coaching of Brendan Rodgers. So how did you think that one panned out? I mean, like me, did you feel Leicester were worthy winners? Uh, without doubt. In fact, they should have won by more because when Vardy was through and he hit that ball wide, I yeah. can't believe it. That was incredible. He just a one-on-one with Keeper and he, wow. I mean, they could have won by more, Leicester, in my opinion. Well, having said that, United have only themselves to blame because of the team he selected. And as it proved by putting five players on to try and rescue the game. Yeah. Uh, it's just, as I said, it's international week, so we don't really need to rest players, do you? And I've always been a great advocate of the fact that if you want to rest players, get them on the park at the beginning, get in front, and then bring them off, and then you can have your rest. Yeah. You know what I mean? After you've done your business and done the work of getting in front. And nowadays, for some reason, people pick a, a team and then they leave, put these players on the bench. I don't think it's fair to the players on the bench to have to suddenly come on and be hit the, hit the straps right away, you know what I mean? It, it, it takes a bit of time to settle into the game and the pace of the game. So I, I believe they should start with what they consider the best team and then you know, bring them off when you get in front. And it's no good doing it once you're behind because it's a, a lost cause then, in my opinion, unless you're lucky enough and in the past United have been lucky to get away with it over the, the season United have won more games from coming behind than any other team because they've been flirting with it all the time and yeah. on Saturday it didn't work for them you know but the reason I fancy United to win on penalties because you know it's the FA Cup and he just seemed to have that look but I must admit I didn't think he'd be leaving out Bruno Fernandes there. I mean you've got to keep one or two of your good players there yeah. just to make sure you, you're in the game all the time but anyway You've got what they deserve, I imagine you. Semi-finals then. Uh, Chelsea, Man City. I see that being 2-1 to Man City. Well, it's going to be a tough game because like see, at, at the moment, nobody. I think they've only conceded one goal while they've had this manager there. And funnily enough, it was an own goal by, I don't know, Zuma or Rudiger who put in his own net. It's the only goal they've conceded in about 10 matches. But having said that, they're not really a bit mad. They did play Liverpool away and won one none at Liverpool. Uh, that's the kind of game the semi-final would be like. Like Chelsea was at Liverpool, it would be a tough game. And it's just a matter of who takes the chances on the day. But overall, we've got to fancy Man City because of the fact that we've got the confidence going. But there's still a bit way to go before that game comes up. So OK, score, Eric. I'll fancy City to win like I always do. I would go 2-0 City. OK, I uh, think the second one is a little bit more clear-cut, uh, although the the, the, cup, the FA Cup is always full of surprises. But I think Southampton, by the fact that Leicester gave him a good hide-in and uh, obviously 
Leicester on fire. I've got to go for Leicester winning about 4-1. Yeah, well, I've got to be completely the opposite to you because I think Southampton will be waiting there to be ready now for when they come to play Leicester. If you remember last year when Leicester won 9-0 at, at Southampton, Southampton went to Leicester and won at Leicester. So don't you think this is a one-way one, a one traffic game? I, I fancy Southampton to win. I really do because uh, by then they'll have most of the players back. Which, by the way, Leicester will. They've had players missing as yeah. well. But I just got the feeling that uh, Southampton will be the surprise team. And a score for me, Eric? I'll go 1-0. 1-0. Wow, OK, well done. I'll give it goal score as well if you want. Yeah, go Adams. on. Jay Adams. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, that'll be interesting to look at that one. Now, uh, we've got um, 12 minutes left and we've got three um, Premiership games to go over. Um, Brighton, Newcastle, I thought would be 2-2. Two, two. Uh, you thought it would be 1-0 to Brighton. It turned out 3-0 and it looked almost comfortable. Um, it didn't look as if Newcastle had a lot to offer there. What did you think? Well, I think you just summed it up there. Newcastle are uh, really disappointed, really, because I, the reason I fancy Brighton because they're just one of them teams who don't seem to have much luck and their finishing is terrible. But on Saturday, you know, they were brilliant. You know, they get put the ball in the back of the net. You forget that Welbeck used to be a good striker with Manchester United and he was at Arsenal. But he's had a lot of injuries and I think he's a good lad to have in, on the side. So I think that Welbeck and... Malpe, the other lad who plays up front, you know, he, he, sooner or later he's going to start scoring goals, and it was on Saturday. That's the reason why I fancied him. Yeah. OK, now the um, the next game was a cracker. West Ham, Arsenal. Uh, I, I knew there'd be goals in this. I thought it would be 2-3. You thought it would be 1-2. It turned out a an enthralling 3-3 game. What did you make of um, Arsenal's comeback? Well, I think... Uh, not so much as Arsenal's comeback, it was more the fact that uh, West Ham went, for some reason, 3 or not. The game isn't over even though you're 3 or not when it's half-time. You know? oh, I think they put one back before half-time, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. might have been 3-1 at half-time. But uh, I think that uh, West Ham, <clears throat> they, they must be kicking themselves to let that go. But it's, like say, two sides to every story. Arsenal showing the right kind of spirit and... To be quite honest, I thought they were going to win it in the end, Arsenal. Once they pulled it back to 3 all, I thought yeah. they might win this. But if you remember, West Ham had a cracking chance. I think it was Antonio where he could have wrapped it up. But yeah. if he didn't, it would have made it 4-2. But anyway, it was, as you said, it was a cracking game. And funnily enough, that was one of the games I didn't really sit down and watch like I watched nearly all the others. <laughs> I was doing some work on something. And uh, although I was listening to it, I didn't actually watch it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, in my predictions, uh, I'd picked Arsenal to win anyway then when they were three on down I thought oh well that's out the window OK <laughs> well look we've got Villa at home uh, we keep saying at home but it's the game where the game's played uh, Villa at home to Spurs I thought Spurs would win that one you thought Villa would win it it turned out Villa nil Spurs 2 Mourinho needed that to even stay in his job it would appear Jekyll and Hyde time, isn't it? You know, with Tottenham during the week, they lost a two-goal lead in Europe to, to go out of the competition. And he was on about the attitude was wrong, the manager. And uh, on Saturday, he was just the opposite way around. He'll come back to being a solid defend, defensive side. But, once again, I, I thought Villa would have Grealish back. 
and he didn't play, did he? And uh, he makes all the difference to creating chances, Grealish. And it, they never really. I didn't think they created enough chances. Uh, no, I, I think uh, I think yeah. the other thing is Grealish was or Grealish was, was um, busy posing in his tracky bottoms, and you know it seemed to me that 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 was the important thing. Even the commentators were were making comments about his tracky bottoms. I mean, he's a great player and everything, but you really, if you're going to build a team around one man, you only need him to go injured, as we've seen, and you've got problems. Exactly, yeah, and like, like you say, he's well known to be a guy who likes the limelight anyway, you know. Yeah. OK, well, look, we've got eight minutes to discuss the... Um, I know the World Cup qualifiers, so maybe I shouldn't call them meaningless friendlies, but there are meaningless friendlies mixed in there as well. And it just offends my um, common sense that suddenly everybody can travel. I think Wales and Mexico was one yeah. that you highlighted. Um, you know, we've been talking about bubbles and quarantines and self-isolation and not going out of yours zone and all this for a long time now and yet suddenly we've got teams coming in from all around the world if they've got a bug they can bring it in so you know maybe the bug really isn't there in the first place that's the only <laughs> sort of uh, thing I can think going to England what do you think of a game like England versus San Marino or San Marino yeah well it, I mean, somebody who's going to score the actually that's all I think about that game Somebody's going to get a bag full of goals and uh, they're going to be heroes again. But we all know San Marino are possibly the lowest lowest in the pecking order for football teams that rated in the world. And uh, it's, it's, what's happening now, it always works out that England always get somebody in the group who were like, you know, a, a cannon fodder, you could say. Yeah, whipping boys. Like somebody's going yeah. To, you know, somebody's going to give them a good idea. And unfortunately for San Marino, that's it. And um, I think the other games they've got Algeria, I think, and Switzerland. I'm not sure. Um, I've, I've got ones. Albania and Poland. I, oh, I, Albania, Albania and Poland. Ah, right. Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah, uh, the games where England are expected to win, aren't they? Maybe Poland might be a little bit iffy uh, if it's in Poland. I presume they're playing in Poland. Uh, well, I, I don't know where they're playing because obviously uh, that's how silly everything is at the moment. Um, but, I mean, wherever England play Poland, I think Poland are always going to give them a tough game. So, I mean, I would think that one will be something like 2-1 because, um, mind you, having said that, Southgate has done a good job with the national team. He's got them looking good. A, I don't know whether I particularly like him or not. I'm not sure, I'll be quite honest. Mainly because of the fact that I think he's got his favourites and there's some people who he... He'll always pick kind of thing, and uh, maybe we'll see this because this is interesting. How he's going to sort it out because we've got three midfield players there who are excellent players. We've got Grealish, Madison, and Foden. Then he's got his usual crew of Henderson, who I don't think will be fit for. I mean, I'm not talking about these three games coming up. I'm thinking about the future. You know yeah. what will be England's best team, and uh, I just got the feeling. I mean, up front. He'll stick with Harry Kane, there's no doubt about that. And I just hope Harry Kane don't play against San Marino and score a panful, which is what he'll want to do because he's that kind of guy, Harry Kane. You know, when he claimed that goal that time, when he, it was last season, when he said he touched it, how he touched that, I'll never know. But <laughs> he claimed it, you know what I mean? Just because he's good to get all Give his, us uh, your predicted score, England-San Marino. 
Well, I'll have to go 6 0. Ah, one more than me. I've gone 5 0. Uh, Eng- mm. Albania, England. Albania, England, 4 1. OK, uh, I've gone 3 0. So we've got the same uh, difference, haven't we? And yeah. England, Poland. As you said, will be a lot tougher. They've got Lewandowski, so I reckon he's bound to score a goal. I'll go England to win 3 1. OK, now I'm going to give you um, a, a tie which I picked up. I've got a couple of pick, um, ties to, to finish off with. This looks a cracker. I mean, you really will like to, to give me a, a prediction on this one. It's Scotland against the Faroe Islands. Yeah, well, it's a derby game, isn't it? You know, so, yeah, yeah, it's a. Uh, Actually, Man City played at the Fairwells a few years ago. We won 2-0. And I had one of my friends over there. He went to the game. And he said, it's a hell of a place to get to the Fairwells, you know. <laughs> he, he finished up going on a fishing boat, believe it or not. <laughs> Him and a few others it, to get to there. But he said there were lovely people on the island and yeah. all that. But obviously, <laughs> it'd be a big win for Scotland. Although, <laughs> see what team you pick. I think you'll go about 5-0 Scotland. Yeah. Uh, another one that sort of took me eye was one which I didn't really understand, if I'm honest. Uh, Spain versus Kosovo. And you sometimes start thinking, well, my, my geography is obviously a little bit silly here because, you know, I can't understand Kosovo as a country. It's not a country I can relate to. Is it one of them countries like uh, out around Serbia way? Yeah, it, it, it's that sort of dead, dead area. But I mean, it's not—it's not a country I can quickly relate to. Is what I'm saying, yeah. you know? Um, it's one of them where it's been broke up, hasn't it? Yeah, you know, uh, and changed the name and all that kind of thing. Like, uh, there'll be quite a few teams like that, didn't they? Montenegro and you yeah. Know, well, I, I thought he was a singer. I thought he was a band leader. <laughs> well, we used to be. Uh, <laughs> Don't forget when we was at school, geography was not the easy lesson. I don't think it is anymore. <laughs> no. Um, what about a last word on Spain uh, playing Greece? Because Greece tend to be a little bit of a dark horse team, don't they? They won the the, the European Championship a couple of years back. So yeah. that could be a little bit of a tricky one for Spain. Well, Spain have got a good side now. I mean, recently they beat uh, Germany about four... I don't know if it's 4-0 or 4-1. Or so. It was a big score. Because funny enough, the Man City player got that that day, Torres. And uh, we won, four, I think it was 4-1 or something like that. And Germany are going through a little bit of a transition as well. Normally, we expect Germany to be up at the top when it comes to uh, playing football matches. And I've just got the feeling, well, Spain will be good enough to beat Greece. I'm pretty confident of that. Because they're building a nice team up. But the team to watch out for, in my opinion, who could win this cup is Portugal. Yes. Got yeah, I've Portugal. seen them. Yeah. yeah. So uh, they, I think they're actually eight to one, and I might be putting a fiver on. I'm not sure. I'm not decided yet. But I think they'd be a good bet. I mean, you, you, you can't back England because the odds you get are absolutely ridiculous. It's like Man City in Champions League and all that. The odds are absolutely. I think even to win the quadruple, it's only about seven to one for Man City. That is ridiculous. That's yeah. almost an impossibility, you know. <laughs> but the book is, you know, they, they won't give anything away. And it's, to be fair, most of the gamblers, in my opinion, are in England anyway, you know, with these bookies. Yeah. So uh, that's another story talking about bookies, isn't it? Well, Eric, I'm afraid we've come to our hour. Um, it's right, been, man. as ever, uh, you know, there's lots of good things to, to discuss. Um, I think we were right to look at the uh, the paedophilia and the, the mm. you know, the Black Lives Matter thing. It's, it's ongoing. Um, I think both of us feel the same. We want it to finish, don't we? 
Yeah, definitely, no doubt about that. It's uh, it, well, it don't matter. These people, uh, we, it's not in our hands, Vince. That's all we can do is have a little bit of a chat about it, and hopefully yeah. people agree with us. Yeah. All right, Eric. Well, stay safe all and right, look right. forward to uh, chatting next week. Same to you, Vince. Look after yourself. Cheers, Thanks, Eric.